Welcome to the Two Mutts Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Marshall. <laughs> Rick White, here's Radulov with a kiss. Scores! One timer, scores! Perry scores! Corey Perry! Here's Drysdale again, turns, shoots, scores! Austin Matthews in shoots, Austin Matthews! Schultz ahead, Crosby onside, behind the fence towards the net, he scores! Back across, fired, score! Crosby again! Tames with a shot, he scores! Tames shoves it front, they score! Jonathan Tames ties it! Look at that! Are you watching this? What a brilliant piece of work from Connor McDavid! Wow. Our next guest is a former executive in the OHL and spent several years with the LA Kings organization going on to win two Stanley Cups. We'd like to welcome Mike Fuda to the podcast. Mike, how's it going? It's going quite well, thank you. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Our pleasure to have you on. So this is uh, when I started this podcast a couple of years ago. I this is a, a interview I always wanted to do. So I followed you through through your career. Obviously, I'm a uh, Western guy, but uh, you know you had a great career in the O. So we'll pretty much start there. Um, in your OHL career. Who were your mentors for you leading into the position that you did with coaching and, and management? Who were, who were the people that gave you, believed in you and gave you a shot? Well, a gentleman named Dennis Mills and uh, Peter Miller, uh, they were, one was running St. Mike's and one was running Henry Carr. And I, at the time, I dislocated my shoulder in Germany playing hockey. And I had a year left of my contract and I had a decision to make. And with a teaching degree in my pocket, um, my former principal at Henry Carr had left a, a note that if I ever came back and wanted a job at St. Mike's that, um, that, that they should hire me. And it was it, it kind of crazy how it came to fruition. I had left one of my national championship rings in uh, Father McLean's casket. He was a huge mentor for me. And then uh, once the door opened at St. Mike's, I mean, I, I got into the coaching side and I thought it was amazing. Like I had done some player coaching in Europe and I even coached our high school team when I was in high school. Um, that was another perk that Father McLean had provided at Father Henry Carr. And then I just loved it. It was the passion. Like I, I had a teaching degree and I, I really didn't enjoy my time in the classroom. <laughs> uh, it, it was, in, it was, I mean, I enjoyed teachers college, but I, I remember having this, my dad was superintendent and I was in, uh, I, I came back and I was supply teaching and uh, play the national anthem. And I still just Christ, my dad was laughing the other day. I said, Dad, first of all, I'm only like three years older than these girls in high school. So this is going to be a problem to start. But I remember these kids wouldn't shut up during the national anthem. And I had a complete slap shot moment. And I just yelled, like, shut the F up. <laughs> and then I realized that I wasn't on the rink. I was in a classroom. <laughs> so I kind of realized that I probably wasn't ready for the classroom at that stage. And then really dug in in the hockey. And as soon as I, you know, I'd taken some shortcuts as a player and when the door opened up for me in an executive position, I just wasn't going to take any shortcuts. I didn't want to let myself down, but I mean, the people that were believing in me, and I mean, I ended up getting, I was the youngest coach in the history of the Ontario Hockey League coaching an expansion team, which didn't go well. Um, but I ended up getting fired. Um, but I had made some really good contacts in the under 17 programs and Mark Osborne, who uh, played in the national hockey league, I brought in as an assistant coach he ended up, uh, I learned a ton from him and I was immediately hired. I mean, I spent some time with Bert Templeton and, uh, and Brian Kilray. I wanted to get to know some of the, you know, the older legends of the game. And then uh, George Burnett had 
offered me the assistant coach, assistant general manager's job with the Oshawa Generals. And I think as far as my role models at that stage, uh, it would have to be, it would have to be George and, uh, and Sherry Basson at the time. And I mean, I'm not sure whether you're aware of his, but he's kind of like a legend of the, a legend of the Ontario hockey league. And I mean, he was the one that he part of the Nordiques when they drafted Lindros and he really took me under his wing. And I started to think, you know, I wanted to get back into coaching and he was basically, you know, he basically just said to me, you know, Michael, uh, your future's in management. And uh, he really kind of, I had started to run the draft and stuff with George Burnett and I, I loved the coaching side, but when I saw George run a practice, I realized how far away I was from being where I wanted to be as a coach and probably I'd be pretty easy to fire with my professional playing background uh, as a second time coach. And I ended up, you know, Sherry Basson took me into Owen Sound and introduced me to their management, uh, their ownership team. And I went through an incredible interview process with them. And out of it, um, I was hired as general manager. And I guess that's where it all started for me. It was uh, it was just a really unique opportunity. There were six of them. Paul McDermott was the lead hockey guy. You know, Dr. Bob Severs and Paul McDermott have played years in the National Hockey League. And they basically handed the keys to the car over me. And, and Owen Sound wasn't a real desirable place for players to report. So it was kind of an intriguing thing for me to uh, to make it a place like there was a list of people that would play in the Ontario Hockey League. And then there was a smaller list of people that would play in Owen Sound. So it was part of my goal to make it a very desirable location and I had a great coach, Mike Stuthers, and my first draft pick was Bobby Ryan, who obviously, um, you know, he's had a great NHL career. He was drafted behind Cindy Crosby, and it kind of broke down the barriers that if I could get Bobby Ryan, a U.S. kid, to report to Owen Sound, that uh, it was going to lead to some pretty unique recruiting trips. And then all of a sudden, Mark Giordano and Wayne Simmons and Paul Bissonette and Joey Hishon. There was really Andre Secure. We had an incredible list of of players that ended up having really, really great NHL careers. So it kind of opened up a door for me. And then Trevor Lewis was uh, an LA pick who I had recruited to Owen Sound and signed him. And then that led me to an open door meeting with Dean Lombardi and Ron Hextall. And then I was going from Owen Sound to Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> what a change, what a change. So, a little bit of a temperature change. Exactly too. So. How, what was the culture that you brought to Owen Sound to bring the players that you just named? Um, I was going to ask you about them, but you already, you already named them off. So, but uh, what was the culture that you did to bring that group to that organization? Well, first it was having the, res- I had like for that ownership group, they, they had just redone the arena, redone the, you know, like they'd almost lost their franchise and then to redo the dressing room and, and really try and make it like a little, NHL to hand the keys I didn't want to let them down and they were such quality people that if you believe in the people you're working for I think that was such a big thing and I really believed in the product I believed in Mike Stuthers and I believed even though it was a small town that we could win and uh, it bothered me that there had been a couple great players like I mean uh, Scotty Walker played there and uh, in Dan Snyder, bless his soul. I mean, uh, Andrew Burnett, but they didn't, they didn't really have very many good teams. Um, there wasn't really a lot of, it was almost like the blueprint for what Dean Lombardi wanted us to create. And I think that's why he chose me to uh, run his scouting staff with Mark Yannetti was a, it was that culture. We had to, 
you can't just think you're going to win. You have to know you're going to win and you have to believe you're going to win. And we got to a point, like we were ranked second in Canada for the longest time. We broke all the points records for previous own sound teams. If it wasn't for, I still think that London Knights team that beat us was arguably, uh, arguably the best junior hockey team in history. Uh, it was just, but we, we became, uh, people knew we were there. Uh, it was hilarious. I said, we knew we were on the map when all of a sudden the Hunter brothers were, had to talk about us, the teams to talk, you know, you don't want to go to Owen Sound. You don't want to, you don't want to report to Owen Sound. And so all of a sudden it was like, we kind of had a little American league East, so to speak with the old Yankees and Red Sox, because we had London and Kitchener and we were right there with them. I mean, we, we, you know, we beat them out. They beat us out. We beat Kitchener out. They beat us. So it was a battle. And I mean, those were one of the, some of the most enjoyable times ever. And I felt, you know, you could sit across from somebody like Mark Giordano and his family and you knew the character that they were going to bring. And that was just, you bring in great people. You bring in people that aren't going to let you down, that you can, especially in a small town, I always said this, if you put your head down your pillow at night, know you can sleep, not knowing that you're going to be getting a call about <laughs> what's going on with your players and who's out causing trouble. And they were just such a quality group of people. And they really took the community on. And Bobby Ryan as well. He was a, he was a great role model for me to be able to recruit American players. And, uh, and it was just, uh, it just like Dean said, you know, you've built a culture and now we got to do the same thing at the pro level. And it's just about the quality of the person you're bringing in. And I think uh, I had a little bit of insider trading there when I got to Los Angeles because not many people, I was brought in three years before the, uh, three weeks before the draft. And Dean had told me that I could only talk about players in the Ontario Hockey League. And Wayne Simmons was really an enigma because nobody, like he wasn't even on, Los Angeles list. They had, they had huge turnover in scouting and they were kind of scattered all over the place. And, and I told the story, but it's, it's just word for word, but I mean, I'll, I'll try and leave the swearing out, but Dean Lombardi had a very harsh way of talking and he and I ended up being best, you know, best for, but because we respected each other's work ethic so much. And I learned so much from him about the draft and drafting players and standing up for your pick. So he says, show me your Ontario list. And I had Wayne Simmons at number two on the list overall, and he wasn't even on Los Angeles list. So Dean's idea of introducing me to the staff was basically walking me into a room and saying, this is Mike Fuda. He's going to be uh, our co-director of amateur scouting next year with Mark Gianetti. Uh, he's here to talk about Ontario. And by the way, he thinks you guys are all effing stupid because <laughs> he's got Wayne. <laughs> he says, because he's got Wayne Simmons at number two and you don't even have him on the list. And I was just like, and that was exactly how he introduced us. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and then basically pushed me in and closed the door behind me. And I'm like, hey, guys, yeah. <laughs> you know, ex-NHL players. And and anyways, I, I did a presentation on Wayne Simmons. And uh, it, it ended up being like he ended up like 11th overall on our list. And then Dean asked me the question, you know, so where are you going to take him? And I said, well, we really don't need to take him to later in the draft. And Dean just lost his mind. And he called me a few names I'm not going to repeat. And. He said, I knew I should have never hired you, you hump. Uh, he goes, here you are. You finally won your staff over. You've done your work. You presented the player. You got him in the right spot. And now you don't have the balls to make the pick. And uh, take him where you got him on the list. You don't hide him. And then, so anyways, here I am now. Wayne Simmons isn't even talking to me because I left Owen Sound. He thinks I've deserted him. I'm not allowed to tell him what's going on. So he's basically, you know, I think he's on a couch with his, at his agent's training and I told him, well, Wayne, listen, if 
you know, if you don't get drafted, I'll invite you as a free agent and stuff like that. And then the draft day comes and we're there in the second round and they pushed the microphone in front of me and said, go ahead. And I'm like, you know, the uh, Los Angeles Kings take Wayne Simmons in the second round of the NHL draft. And then my phone blew up. I had people telling, I mean, I still remember Steve Spot saying, I hope you didn't sell your house no one sound because you're going to be fired in about 10 minutes. And it just, <laughs> Wayne yeah. Simmons has gone on to, you know, Pete DeBoer believed in the pick and our staff believed in the pick and Dean Lombardi when, when Wayne got down there, and it was just a testimony. I knew he was never going to let me down with the character he had. There's certain kids that when they don't have money, they do everything possible to, to attain a salary. There's other kids that when they have money, they don't work quite as hard, but Wayne Simmons needed it. His family, I know his, his brother at the time had, uh, when I went, there was like very little electricity in the house. The brother was, I had to talk him out of a scholarship to Bowling Green, which wasn't going over very well with the family. The brother wasn't allowed to play football because they could only afford equipment for Wayne. So it was really, it was one of those stories that you just didn't want to let the family down. And then Wayne just took over. I mean, he went down there. He almost made the team as an 18 year old. He fought, he scored. He was still like 152 pounds, which was just beyond me, like how thin he was, but he was so powerful. And then I think he still, he maxed out at like 176 pounds or 182 pounds. But you look at the career he's had, I mean, he makes me look good every day. I mean, he's, I think part of my proudest stuff about that, when you talk about that group of players that I had is uh, there was an award last year. I'm not sure it was either the Messier award or the award for best off ice. And the three finalists were Justin Williams, who's one of my best friends in the business. And then Wayne Simmons and Mark Giordano. And it was either for leadership or their roles in the community. And then you, you just start to think when you surround yourself with those type of people, you're going to have success because they're not only great players, but they don't cheat anything. And they're great role models to, you said, to build your culture around because they'll do anything to win. And they work. I, I use the analogy. They, they work just as hard when the teacher's not in the classroom as when the teacher's in the classroom. So the ultimate pros. Yeah, no. And they are like, yeah. And it was the Mark Messier leadership award that Mark Giordano won. And he has in the past won, the community award too. So uh, speak of Wayne Simmons as a person and what kind of relationship you guys still have today. Like we, yeah. Well, we, Dean Lombardi, clearly he's not my son. <laughs> Dean Lombardi, he also, when we traded Wayne, he said, Futes, I got to trade your son. And I was like, oh, it's just, it speaks volumes to the, I mean, I've heard Wayne speak about our relationship and we don't have to tell each other what we mean to each other. I mean, he believes that I opened a door for him that nobody else was willing to take a chance on. And then he broke the door down. And I look at him as I just believed in him. I mean, I, I just believed in his work ethic and people didn't. I, Brian Burke always says to me, he's like, why did you, you never told me how tough he was. And I'm like, well, Burke, <laughs> you were in the box with me when he just pounded the crap out of some kid knowing sound. But I think Burke, he was either signing an autograph or he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> it was just one of the, I, it was something, he was doing some charitable fun and he missed it. But I mean, I said, listen, Simmer, just, I'll send you the tape. I mean, and he, cause he, he always said, he never played like that when I was in the building. And I was like, well, you play like that every other night. And, and it was just, we've remained like, he's helped me move. Uh, he was the first person to call when I was like, Oh, we've talked about his career. You know, we spoke at length about, uh, you know, he always, the people used to say what a great trade it was for the Philadelphia Flyers. 
and he'd just say, you guys won two cups. I won a cup. <laughs> so yeah. it was just such a self-critique. Like there was a time that he was always, yeah, really bad body language when things weren't going well in one sound. And I remember calling him in. I could never question like the work in the gym, but when things weren't going well, it was just a sulk about him that I just said, you got to lose that man. I mean, it's, you're, you're not going to like, it's so the scouts are picking up on it. And I know what you really like, but I don't like to be on the phone having to try and convince people that you're moping or you're pouting or if things don't go well, you're, you just, it was such an obvious body language and he just got, he, he bought into it. And, uh, and again, he went down there and I think our development team in LA, I mean, we were joking about, cause he couldn't protect the puck. Probably. He wasn't a great puck protector. He always exposed it. And our guys just did a masterful job. And then he clearly became one of the best puck protectors in the national hockey league, as well as he, we called it Wayne's office. I mean, he sat in the, the one Wayne's office was behind the net. Wayne Simmons office was in front of the net because, and he just worked at it tirelessly at how to, to deflect pucks and get, take the goalie's eyes away and stuff like that. And that's, he became, uh, he still is. That's one of the things that's really frustrated him over the last couple of years is that he hasn't got as much net front power play time. So, I mean, I was thrilled for him when he became a, you know, obviously he grew up in Toronto as we always did. And as I have as well, and it was his dream to be a leaf. He left more money on the table with a couple other organizations. And we laughed and joked about, you know, what it'd be like to win in Toronto. And he's obviously, you know, he knows Kyle Dubas well and, and Sheldon Keefe and he wants to be a part of, you know, what would be a, an incredible, I mean, since 1967, if they ever were able to pull it off, they could all retire on their, on their, yeah. <laughs> being his history, the whole of the streets named after him, but it'll be interesting. He's got to, he's got to play. That's a, that's a, there's a lot of great forwards there and they got to find ice for him and uh, he'll bring the toughness factor. He's, uh, he's a gritty, gritty, gritty player. But I, I, just, I said, we talk all the time. We, I didn't even know when I would did my quarantine when, in, when I left Los Angeles, I was still a member of the Kings and I was quarantining at a friend of mine's house in the, in the King city area, uh, Blair MacArthur. And I didn't know Simmer had bought a place in Aurora. So he was only like 10 minutes away. So we've kept in touch. We talked about throughout free agency and we, we still have this dream that we're going to end up together somehow no, and, that's awesome. and win a cup together. So, I mean, he and Giordano, like the late night calls and just when they call for advice or just on anything they're just they're, they they do feel like they're part of my family and uh and it's a great feeling no it, it is and you have you've done and carved out a great career and and there's a lot of guys that are making you look good and and i'm a leaf fan so i'm happy that wayne simmons there so full disclosure but uh speak of another guy that dates back before you drafted him when the la kings is tyler Toffoli and what he means to you that relationship that dates back before you drafted him well, I knew Toph, and if I get jumped by this cat right now, you're going to laugh your head off because I thought I had bolted out my name. <laughs> <laughs> if you, he just might invade the, he might invade the screen. I thought I had locked him out of the room. But anyways, Toph, uh, well, first of all, he played for my former coach. Again, it's like an insider trading thing. When I mean, I've known Toph since he's like Wee. My coach, Dan Cameron, had coached uh, the junior Canadians. And I knew Tyler's family. I knew his dad was basically on the bench as like one of the trainers and stuff like that. And, and I knew him very well. He went to Ottawa. Um, he shot the lights out of the 67s. He was always a little wee jokes. I mean, I, he got the cheeks and stuff. He was a little pudgy. His conditioning was never where it needed to be. But what he did with the puck and the goals he scored, you, you couldn't teach. And I mean, I knew the family well. Um, 
he draw his draft status dropped, but again, we had him so high in our list. That's what I found so incredible about the NHL where like how certain lists, um, like we had him about 11th or 12 overall on our list and he was still there in the second round. And I just said, Dean, this is, I'm sweating every pick here. Like and Mark and Eddie and I just looked at each other and said, let's just, let's remove the doubt. And we ended up, we ended up trading a, a trading a pretty high pick to move up two spots in the draft. Cause I really felt that Colorado had him on their radar screen and we ended up trading a pick to move up two spots and we took Ty and it was just, I mean, he came down. I used the analogy. I said, because when you're in LA, all these guys, I mean, any chance they couldn't get to the beach to take their shirt off. It's they're all into it because these guys, half of them are ripped and they're all in great shape. And Ty didn't like taking his shirt off as much when he first got down there. Um, and then when he bought into what he needed to do in the gym, it was hard to get him to keep his shirt on. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, uh, he, he worked tirelessly. You know, he worked with our skating coach. He worked with James Richmond on his skating um, and he found a step. He was American league rookie of the year. He did all the steps properly. Um, I, I mean, I love the kid. I mean, I love the family, but it was funny because I mean, one is Dean Lombardi was like, looks like this Defoley kid's going to play. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Thanks Dean. I think he had, he's, he was about to break a record for the most goals in the Ontario hockey league. Um, it was up to, he was a good amount. It was either 50 or 60, but he was on a point streak of something like 40 games or something like that. Or he had scored. It was an O it was definitely an OHL record. So Dean's like, I got to go in and see this. And sure enough, Dean and his, <laughs> The kid finds out the GM's coming in, goes into a little panic attack. And I don't think Ty touched the puck the entire night. Oh, no. <laughs> he was like, oh, my God, is this the same kid you're talking about? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the same kid. I said, yeah, nobody in the Ontario League could shut you could shut down Tyler Toffoli, but you, Dean Lombardi. <laughs> you kept our own draft pick off the list or off the scoreboard. But, no, we joked about it. And then Ty, of course, you know, he got called up and, Daryl kicked him in the ass and sent him back down with his marching papers. And the next time he came up, he was up to stay. And, um, you know, he was kind of a, I think he kind of traveled around with the team in 2013 and got to see, you know, I think he was with our guys when we went to the white house and he wasn't a part of the 2012 team, but you could just see him chomping at the bit. And then we go to uh, 2014, the old seventies line, he and Tanner Pearson jump up and find some magic with Jeff Carter and, you know, Ty's scoring regularly at the NHL level and he's a Stanley cup champion, very young, very young. And that was a great moment for us to, I still remember my picking up the Stanley cup for my day with the cup. And then Ty showing up at my party and for me to be able to hand over the, he was the next day. So for me to be able to hand over the Stanley cup to Ty was a pretty emotional moment. And uh, he had his wonderful thing. He was blinded around to brought it to Ottawa and stuff like that. But it's a great, I mean, it's devastating. I kind of, sometimes you try and warn these kids when they're getting a little bit, um, when they're getting a little bit high in their horse that, um, and, and it's just natural when you win that, you know, you got a ton of money. Uh, you've won really at a young age. And I just, if you want to stay in Los Angeles and you want to, you know, we need a lot more, you know, we need a lot more. And, and Ty had some struggles and he, uh, you know, he struggled under Johnny Stevens, like as much as Daryl Sutter was tough, Ty was great. Uh, it was a different, Ty couldn't get going. He really liked Johnny Stevens, but he couldn't get going. And then when we brought in Willie Desjardins, it just, 
there was no accountability and players like Ty were kind of running, running wild, not on, like just not buying in. So our culture was kind of evaporating and Ty ended up getting traded. And then you just started to see, I think the reality set in and I thought he looked amazing with the Vancouver Canucks. I know he loved it there. I was just down back to clear my stuff out in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago and spend some time with him. He's in, he's in great shape. I mean, I love it when a kid makes a choice to go to a market that's really tough to play in. Um, it's easy sometimes to go hide and get your money because you've already won. And he chose to, I mean, Montreal, that's a tough market. That's yeah. a really tough market to play in. And I mean, I know he was offered more money in a couple of other spots, but he ended up going to a market that he's going to be counted on. And, uh, and he, and he's excited. He's really excited about it. And it's funny when you look back, cause there's that picture of him and his, uh, I posted his picture. I think he's in minor Wee and his junior Canadians, yeah, I've seen that picture. Yeah. And he's wearing his, uh, and he, I mean, the same thing. He looks like the same little kid from back then. To now. And he's got his real junior. He showed me all the stuff the Canadians sent him, and it was pretty funny. And we were down there, and Nate Thompson was there as well. And he was going over how great the city of Montreal was. And Ty was excited. I asked him if he'd learned any French, and he, he struggles with the English language. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and to going on, like, and how, how special was it for you and your career to win the two Stanley cups, all that hard work you you've done, the drafting, the scouting, all that. And how, how rewarding was that with, for you and your family? Oh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's defies, it defies words. I mean, you, especially when you kind of screwed up your playing career, you think that that shit may have passed. And then you're, I mean, it was crazy too, because, 2012 when we won not no see the cat's trying to jump in the picture (laughs) (laughs) but we we use the audio but we might have to start a youtube channel just because the cat oh you know what it's like that year we were up like we we made the playoffs very late you could tell we had a great team daryl sutter had his playing great jonathan quick was at the top of his game and we had such a tight group in our room like there was like eight or nine nhl captains in that room and we literally, we went up every series, three games to nothing. So, and then in the finals against the Devils, that game, we were up like five, nothing. So you had about 40 minutes where everything in your life just goes, you're going through it. You're, you know, you got tears, you're laughing, you want the clock to get moving. You're thinking, wow, my name's going to be on the cup. Uh, you know, I'm going to be on that ice. I wonder if I'm going to get to touch it. <laughs> And, and all of a sudden it just happens and you're down there. And I mean, I, unfortunately, I mean, I was divorced at the time, so I didn't have, you know, I wished in retrospect, I wish my daughters had been there. I've got three beautiful daughters that um, have really enjoyed their two Stanley cup parties. And, uh, and it was amazing. And then you think, you know, we went to the conference finals in 2013 and you, once you win, you just, you're like, this, this is great. We got to do this again. Like this is, this is the way the world's meant to be. And then again, we come back in 2014 and, and we go three game sevens on the road. So it's the exact opposite where it wasn't like it was easy the first time around, but you were never really in an elimination game. You're always on the cusp of winning. And then this other way, you know, three game sevens on the road and then, you know, beating the Rangers in game six and double overtime with Alec Martinez scoring, it was like, Again, that time walking on the ice, there was just such a sense of pride. I think you feel it when you're on the ice. My parents were with me that time. Um, again, my daughters, I joke because 
I've got three beautiful daughters and I've only got two Stanley Cup rings. So there's a lot of pressure for a third. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it'll come. And there's, a lot of time yeah, there's a lot of pressure for that third one because the one's like, I hope you don't think I'm going to take that Calder Cup ring. <laughs> they downplay these things like yeah. they're nothing, but it's it, it's funny how they look at the, they look at the, the championships and then again, I think just the general respect that you gain around the league. And uh, when you're sitting at that, like, I mean, when you're, there's little things from a scouting department, like when you're really bad, you're right in the front row and you don't ever want to have good seats at a draft. Because <laughs> yeah. that usually means you're rebuilding. And if you're too close to the stage for too long, you're probably going to be out of a job. So we just kind of joked how we we're quietly moving. You know, your goal was to get to that table 30 or 31 with expansion and when we finally got to that table, you don't want to leave it because that walk, uh, we ended up trading the pick away, but that walk, when you're walking up to the stage, the longer the walk, the better. And just the pride that you feel in what you've, you've accomplished. And then, the, you know, the, obviously the, you know, to be able to give my mom a Stanley cup pendant and to have two Stanley cup rings. And when you see your name engraved on the cup and your daughters are, it's just, it's surreal. It's absolutely surreal, but you realized how hard you've worked for it. I don't think for one second that I lucked out. I mean, I worked for every, every inch of it. And, uh, and then when it comes to, it's a, it's a gut punch when, I mean, obviously when I, I didn't get renewed with the Kings, I've only been with one NHL team. It's not like I bounced around. I had 13 years there in a variety of different roles, a couple Stanley cups. I've said at length, I didn't like the way it was handled, but it's just the timing during the pandemic. I didn't think it was handled in a very classy way, but it is what it is. It kind of get, makes you hungrier um, for the next stop. And I mean, I've had some very interesting conversations about joining new teams when the new season starts up again I had a, uh, a very interesting um, uh, tenure in the media side a couple a friend of mine Jonathan Davis had said you know what why don't you do I mean you, you, you do interviews all the time why don't you go on and do the draft show or something like that and Elliot Friedman reached out to me and I ended up doing the Sportsnet draft and I was terrified like I mean it was so out of my I thought was going to be like the rehearsal. I was just terrible. And I didn't feel like it was going to be fun. And then I had a great talk with Brian Burke and Elliot Friedman and Sam Cosentino after, and then they just said, just be yourself. Don't. I remember I always joke because it's in this movie, Youngblood, which is very, it was, did not win an Academy award, but it's hilarious when you're a hockey player and you're in a movie or something, you always feel the need that you have to act when you see the camera near you. You just, you can't just be yourself. You feel like you got to be like Clint Eastwood or, <laughs> and you end up looking stupid because you're acting instead of just, they just want you to be yourself. They want you to be a hockey person. So I ended up just real being myself and they ended up having a ton of fun with it. And then the producers asked me to come back for a free agency and I loved it. It was, it was great. Uh, it was a great experience being on that side of the camera, not too, thrilled with having to put makeup on and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and have someone in your ear shouting at you uh you know hurry up hurry up tell a story hurry up but it was just they made it so well it tells me how like david amber and and sam and brian i mean especially like elliot friedman how like to be on that side you understand now why they say he's one of the best in the business with how relaxed he makes you feel and it was just a, an awesome feeling to a point that i've talked to them about going back and and maybe doing some stuff until the hockey gets started up again. But it was, it was a great experience. Uh, but I didn't want to lose, like for people in the hockey side to think that I was making this permanent switch to media in the interim, because my heart and soul is definitely in getting that third Stanley Cup.
yeah and 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 we've had elliot friedman on our podcast once and he's an absolute pro like you say and it's awesome that he you know brought you in and and made it easier on you so and to kind of go back to where you want to go now is there are, are you are you in talks with anyone how are things going on that front of getting back in the game well i've had i've had discussions with teams uh the one thing that's hard is you get like, because I've interviewed for so many, I mean, I've interviewed for general manager positions and early with my, and it, you don't want it to come across as, you know, you're interviewing and you're not always, you're, you're failing. It's a real honor to interview for a general manager's position. And uh, I mean, early in my, the times that I went under Dean Lombardi, like I had a letter that said you can interview him, but you can't hire him. So for me, I was just gaining experience. So it wasn't like I was going to these interviews with the thoughts that I was leaving the Kings. Uh, it was just gain experience to go through the, you know, Dean was, Dean was making it quite clear that I wasn't going anywhere, but if I wanted to go through the process and, you know, there were days, whatever question your loyalty. And then, I don't know, I found, I, I really felt I was ready uh, for that jump. I was offered a position, which I, I didn't, I didn't take. It didn't feel right at the time. Uh, so, I mean, it wasn't just the fact I, I you know, I'm going to go anywhere, first general manager job, I'm going to jump at. And then things changed in LA and I felt that my role was not where I wanted it to be. And uh, Rob Blake had every right. Uh, he was, you know, he had a, a couple of friends of his that were coming on board and taking larger roles, which is, that's the way the hockey industry. And I just, I felt that there was, if there was going to be an opportunity for me that I really had to seriously look at it. And I could tell that in Rob's eyes, you know, when they're trying to rebuild and I'm trying to find a job or, or I'm at least entertaining jobs uh, with interviews. I think when Edmonton, that was probably the lot when Edmonton called to interview me and, uh, and I went to the interview, I know he wasn't very pleased with that, but it, it is what it is. I mean, I, I, I've interviewed for GM jobs since then. Uh, I would love to go back to whether if I went back as an assistant general manager or going back to my passion is in finding talent um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a general manager's job. I mean, I, if I got back as director of amateur scouting somewhere, uh, that would be just grand. I mean, I love it. I want to get back into hockey, but I think everybody right now understands that with the pandemic, that owners aren't looking to dole out new contracts when they're not sure when the season's going to start and whether there's going to be fans in the crowd and what their, what their budgets are going to be. So I've, I've got to be patient through that. Um, there's a couple things that are very, very intriguing and interesting, which I can't really get into, but I, I have no doubt that I'm going to come back a much hungrier, which would be hard to imagine me want to work any harder than I did before. But once, once you get knocked down, you can either, I mean, it's this, it's an analogy, but you can, you know, sit and feel sorry for yourself or, or talk, the same way I used to talk to Wayne Simmons and Mark Giordano and, and walk the walk is that um, it really pissed me off. I'm hungrier than ever. And I'm really have something to prove in my own mind. Not that I, not that I felt that I've, I've failed, but when you're in adversity and stuff, you want to go out and you want to prove some people wrong and, uh, and get back to the successes that, you know, that the LA Kings were having, just bring that knowledge and, and work with some great people and put staffs together that are going to have success in a different place. It'd just be different pulling on a different, I guess, like it is different from, I guess, for a player. I think he says when you pull on a different Jersey for the first time, 
because I've never, I laughed. That was the one thing that just killed me. It's like every clothing piece of clothing I had had a king on it. It was like in every, and my mom's place was like a shrine to the Kings and my dad, everything. And it's just, and it's a great, it's a great feeling. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I, I used to say to the guys that when we get, like when you traded, we, we started to trade guys and then how emotional it was when things went, you know, for me is that, you know, one year they're going to come back and they're going to really celebrate these teams that won cups. I said, they can say what they want, you know, about the individual banners that are up in Los Angeles. Uh, they really, truly, I mean, and obviously they had some incredible, great players, Gretzky and, 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 and Luke and, and all of Blakey, the guys who, the banners that matter, they really got on the map with the two banners that matter. And those are 2012, 2014. And it'll be a lot of fun, you know, many years from now when we can go back, go back and celebrate those two great championships because special times. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, no, I, I, I think you're going to, you're going to knock it out of the park. I I'm good friends with Bob Stoffer and I know you've done interviews with him. And the one thing he's always taught me is uh, it, it, you got to grind. And if you're going to get somewhere in life, you got to grind. And uh, there's no bigger and better grinder in the world in Mike Fudo, in my mind. Like, and that's why your story and why I want to get you on the podcast is because you just don't give up and you've, you've, put that team in such a great uh position to win um i think it's unreal so and- that's part of that, Josh, that's part of the that's part of the uh it gets like you know you left a place in a better spot so whether they thought it was time for me to move on i know there's probably 12 or 14 pieces that i'm still whether it be players or even support staff scouts that i brought in that i'm responsible for that are there so when i hear you know that the future is bright and they're stacked with prospects. I'm proud of that. Yeah. I'm really proud of that. And, yeah. I, and I mean, and the friends I have, like Mark Unetti, my, these guys are lifelong friends, regardless. It's just really weird. It was really strange not being like yeah. having been so a part of the draft, even whether it was pandemic or not to not be a part of the draft and being behind a camera was uh, it was unique. <laughs> it was yeah. unique. And Bob started, it's funny though, how you meet people through this, through these crazy times, like, I kind of made it to myself that I was only going to just a couple buddies had asked me to do podcasts and stuff. And I didn't want to start going crazy. And I remember talking to Bob and we just hit it off. Like it was hilarious. He, he was, he always shares these stories about their, their Alberta golden bears teams that, that, that completely outplayed us, but we beat them. Yeah. <laughs> beat he them talks regardless. about that. Yeah. He was talking about that last week. Actually. We, we had some great, just some great, we just hit it off and it was, it was, it's been fun. So being able to go on some of those shows and stuff like that and, and meet people that you, you know, like yourself and, and stuff, it's, it's been, it's, that part's been fun. Anytime you get a chance to talk hockey again and, and, uh, and talk about, you know, the, the great people that you've been surrounded, the great players you've had the privilege of drafting, you know, your successes, your failures, it's, it's good. It drives you. It just kind of, every time I, start to do one of these things it just lights that wick again that i cannot wait to get back at this yeah i will i really i have no i have no doubt in my mind that i will just have to be patient same same here and um i got two questions and you can kind of answer them together and then we'll get you out of here is we got milan lucic who you're familiar with in la who uh you had there he had a great year um we have him coming on the podcast coming up here so if you have a milan lucic story that we can bring up to him and then one of the a question after that is 
any advice for kids with parents as you got as you're a scout any um you know you always hear the crazy parent stories but any advice you can give parents that are going to listen to this podcast to help their kids out to get to that ne- next level well first luch yeah yeah <laughs> luch is this is like i mean i he know he knows like i mean he's but he's my favorite player like growing up like out of all the guys that I had nothing to do with drafting, like Milan Lucic was like, like I heard this story that they were supposed to take him in Los Angeles and they skipped on him and took somebody who's never ever played. And Luch got drafted like two picks later to the, to the Bruins. And I mean, to finally meet him is like, it's probably one of the only that I was pretty, this is cool. This is Milan Lucic. And I was like, and Dean Lombardi that night had told me, uh, it was after we'd won uh, in 14 and he said, listen, I'm going up to have some beers. If you can get a trade done from Milan Lucic or Joe Thornton, come and get me. So I called San Jose and they, Joe Thornton was, it was not even going to be discussed. And then I called uh, John Ferguson Jr. And we started, we'd been talking and he said, yeah, there's something here. And so we, we worked out the parameters. Dean had given me the parameters to do the deal and uh, about, 45 minutes later, I went up and I knew what the pieces were. I think it was first Martin Jones and Colin Miller. And I went up and I had it written on a sheet of paper and I walked in and Dean was telling stories and having a blast. I said, if you want to call Boston, you can get, you can get Milan Lucic. And he told me to F off and <laughs> sit down and have a beer. And I'm like, well, and he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I'm serious. So he went and, an hour and a half later, Luch was an LA King. Now, the hardest part about that is, is that Luch only had a year left on his ticket. And we didn't get, it was, it was part of our downfall because we only had him, we gave up these assets and then we only had him for a year. And I think, I bet if he could turn back the clock, he probably would have taken a little less money and stayed in Los Angeles at the time. There, we didn't have the money to match <clears throat> what he was offered. And, uh, but he, he, he was just amazing. Like what a great teammate he is, how legitimately tough he is, but what a great heart he, he has. So you're gonna have a lot of fun with him. But yeah. he, he, I told him, like I said, first time I met him, I said, you know, and I wasn't kissing his ass. I just said, this is pretty cool. You're, you're, you're my favorite. Like if I was to say, I mean, Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark were my growing up as a kid, my two favorite hockey players. And then from the moment I got into the industry, Milan Lucic was my favorite hockey player. So, and we've had some funny, I remember I had snuck into Toronto and I, I was out in a date at a steakhouse downtown Toronto and I had leaf tickets and I was going to try and go incognito because every now and then being from Toronto, I wanted to go in and watch the Leafs play and not be the assistant GM of the LA Kings and a non-working night, so to speak. So I had this pretty hot date and I'm walking down the stairs thinking nobody's going to recognize me. And all of a sudden this door swings open and Mark Giordano and Milan Lucic are there and the Calgary Flames are having their rookie party. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just say this luch and geo had a lot more to drink than i had <laughs> and it was like and they're like basically telling my date that i'm the best human being in the history of the world but they're slurring it up pretty good <laughs> so that's i can talk and then like two days later they called and they were in the same state <laughs> Luch, it's Luch, it's Gio. <laughs> so we've had some pretty good late night discussions, both of us. And he knows how much I love him. And it all stems now that he's with Giordano, that relationship's flourished. 
And, uh, and to get to that, I guess, parents and kids live for your kids, not through your kids. Um, it's a scary time when some parents see the gold mine at the end and push their kids to do things that they don't really want to do um, or get on them to the point that the game isn't fun anymore. If the kid, if your kid isn't having fun at the game and it's becoming a job before they're even being paid to do it, uh, it's not going to work. It's never going to work. So live for your kids, not through your kids. Uh, the other thing I guess would be is, uh, you know, be supportive. Uh, don't push too hard, but make sure that you understand. I think it's always nice to set attainable goals. Like I always said, realistically, if I can get my education paid for or some part of my education paid for through hockey, then that's, you know, baby steps. And then once that's achieved and then it's, wow, I can make a living at this. And, you know, and then it was like, okay, I've got a teaching degree. So if I can make as much money as I can as a teacher playing, then it's still viable. And then obviously things went exceptionally well and things went to another level, but just keep yourself grounded, go to the game, enjoy your kids playing, stay away from the politics and the BS behind the boat, you know, chirping other kids or, you know, just, I think if you, if you're good and you're grounded, you'll find a lot of these players that, uh, and hockey players in particular, like I've had the pleasure now of meeting elite athletes in all different sports, but there's something special about hockey players and I believe it, they're still very grounded. Um, but the way the world is just changing and how you have to behave, just be good role models. Like you just see all the different, you know, how hockey's changing and the diversity programs. And if you're a good person and you, and you really are a good teammate, it's going to matter. It's going to help. Like I, I, that for me was to be able to have that ability when I sat across from somebody in the interviews I really felt confident in myself in my interview process that I was really, I wasn't going to get canned answers. I was going to read right through the Eddie Haskell BS. If a kid was snowing me with his character, the yes or no sir BS and really find out. Cause I mean, when I'm drafting a kid, I go right through, I go right through to find out where the parents are. And I, I never really had a family get a kid drafted, but I have had families get a kid not drafted by the way they've handled themselves. And, uh, Again, you just never know. You always say to your kids, you never know. You got to act like the camera's on you all the time. Well, so do parents. Yeah, so do parents, uh, especially in the rinks. Because I remember I remember one kid, and I won't use his name, because, but he was on Tired Foley's Junior Canadian Kids. And I remember walking into the lobby of, of uh, Chesswood Arena. And this kid was, you know, he was, uh, he's whatever. He's been drafted exceptionally high in two leagues, and he's never played a game. And the first thing he did, he swore at his mom across the lobby in such a disrespectful way. And all I said, is that, is that who I think it is? And it was like, yeah, that's him. And I was like, wow, a kid's never going to play. <laughs> He's never, ever going to play for me. He could be, and, and, and again, and there's not too many kids that I've ever crossed off a list with that much talent, but there was no way. That's the way you taught it, especially it was so obvious. It was for show and it was insulting to his mom and, and then some, but just not for me. And I'd rather, I'd rather go into a foxhole with Mark Jordan or a Kyle Clifford or Milan Lucic than somebody that I can't trust. They're yeah. going to do damage to the logo. Yeah, no, exactly. It's all about the character and, and how you, uh, you respect and treat your, uh, your, 
your parents and the elderly and, and all that. So great words from you. Uh, this interview, I would have to say, is probably my favorite interview I've ever done. So and I've done quite a few so far. You're, uh, you're a tremendous guest. Well, you're an exceptional host. I'm glad that we hooked up. No, same, same here. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. And when you get that GM hat on, we'll get you back on, hopefully. So <laughs> I'll I try, and I'll try and make sure the cat stays in the other room. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to sign the cat to a, a long-term <laughs> extension. So, <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, take care, take care, Mike, and uh, all the best to you and your family. Thank you very much. Take care. Stay safe.